Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 56, verses 1 through 13, which is the whole of Psalm 56. And this is uh, one of those psalms uh, you kind of go back to again and again and again. Um, verse, verse 3, I'll just put out there to all uh, parents with little ones who may be uh, awakening in the night with monsters under the bed or in the closet. It's a good one to, uh, to go back to before praying together, and then going back to sleep. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to take your word for granted, but uh, Lord, that we would that we would read it, that we would hear it, that we would live it, or that the things that um, that you have said would be central in the decisions that we make. Lord, I pray that um, that the things that you have said would continue to shape who we are as your people. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Turning then to our New Testament reading. Few short parables that should sound familiar. From Matthew thirteen, forty four to forty six. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. And bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we look at uh, these parables of the kingdom, uh, we got two whole parables in such a few sentences, such a few verses. And yet, those two small parables 
pack quite a punch, don't they? (laughs) They give us a lot to think about. Those are parables that can kind of sink in to you and guide your thinking and about how you view everything. I love the way that in the, uh, the video Kelly has, it shows uh, the man who sold everything and it has all the pictures that just one at a time go away and gives us some time to think about all the things in our lives like that. Um, these parables are very small. It doesn't take a lot of words for uh, Jesus to make this point. Looking at small but powerful things, um, there are, you know, when you use the word atomic, are we talking about something small or something big? If it's atomic, we're talking about the atom, which is very, very small, incomprehensibly small. And yet, if you first thought about an atomic explosion, that's very, very large. And so it can be uh, something that is small that can have a major impact. Um, in fact, I was hearing, you know, we are aware of the pandemic situation that we have been in for many months now and the ways in which uh, this virus has caused such, such an impact throughout the world uh, on, <clears throat> on lives, on economies, on countries. And I heard this week that if you took all of the virus that has infected everybody, it is such a small amount of virus itself, like we're talking such a small scale, that every bit of it, if you gathered it all together, would fit in a teaspoon. Isn't that insane? That is crazy. We're talking about uh, matters of scale here that it's just hard to even comprehend. But with that, I bring all this up because we are looking... Uh, last couple weeks and several to come at the small letters of the New Testament that tend to get overlooked because they're small. And yet they are a part of our Bibles. These are a part of God's word uh, for our good. And these small letters should not be overlooked because of their size. But they are here uh, because they do... um, pack quite a punch as well. And the one we're looking at, uh, we looked at 2 John and then 3 John, the shortest two letters in the New Testament. Now we're the third shortest, which is Philemon. That's what we'll be looking at for uh, this week and next. Although, before we uh, start talking about it this week, I actually want to read to you the whole of the book, and then we'll just talk about the first half this week and save the second half for next week. Um, But I want to read the whole thing to you so you hear the whole letter. And, here, and I want you to hear it putting yourself in the position of the first people who would have heard it. So this is a letter uh, to a guy by the name of Philemon. And this is from Paul. So the Apostle Paul has been uh, going around planting churches, spreading the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. And, uh, and how Jesus is the king. Caesar's not the king. Jesus is the king. This is what Paul has been telling people and why this is good news for everyone throughout uh, the world. And, um, and some places where he goes, well, actually, everywhere he goes, people receive this news with great joy, and other people receive this news with great hostility. And so you have uh, Paul planting churches, 
and being persecuted at the same time, kind of everywhere he goes. And so wherever it is he is right now, uh, as he writes this letter, he refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The thinking is this is one of the letters that he wrote from prison, having been in prison because of his going around preaching the good news of Jesus. And, uh, and he's writing this back to this guy named Philemon, who is uh, likely in Colossae. I never know how to pronounce that one. Same places where he wrote the book of Colossians. And, uh, and that Paul is probably in prison in Ephesus, which is not that far away. It's also possible he was in prison in Rome. It's kind of difficult to sort out. We'll let other people fight about that one. But he is in, uh, in prison writing to um, Philemon. Why is he writing to Philemon? Because Philemon had a slave who has come now to Paul, and Paul is going to send him back with this letter. Now, this slave uh, has not left under good circumstances, but has uh, most likely run off. And uh, there are a lot of details to this story that are somewhat speculative. What we know is what we have, you know, for sure, is what we have here in the letter. And so I will read it to you, but I want you to imagine a situation where, um, where you are Philemon. You are somebody who has a personal relationship with Paul, who has come to you, you have spent time together, you have talked, and uh, you have become a Christian in dealing with Paul. You not only have become a Christian, but now you have invited others to join you in, and you have a church that meets in your home. But you also are a Roman citizen involved in the cultural practices of the day, and slavery was a part of that. Slavery was not uh, only a part of it, it was kind of an essential part of the way things ran. Um, I heard one person say that, uh, you know, it's, it's really upsetting that Paul doesn't just say, hey, no more slavery, everybody, come on, let's stop that. And yeah, it is kind of strange maybe that he doesn't say that, unless you understand the culture of the day, which is, uh, so that would be like saying, all right, everybody... In the United States, no more electricity. We're just done with that. It's like, well, how do you transition with how central it is in our lives today? How would you transition away from that? That's not an instant kind of a thing. That would take a lot of time to sort out how do we do without that. Slavery was that uh, kind of integral in the whole of Roman society and just how things worked. And so... Uh, and so what people said is what he didn't do is say it all stops immediately. What he did do is plant seeds that would do away with slavery um, as an institution down the road. Uh, we also need to keep in mind that slavery back in the day was different than what we think of in terms of um, the slavery that we've had in the United States uh, and the um, which also needed to end and did for Christian reasons, but, uh, but this was a, a different kind of thing, so we kind of have to go past that in our minds and get into uh, a situation where it wasn't by race and it wasn't uh, exclusively through you know, taking people 
But anybody could become a slave. If you had a business that went bad and you got yourself into serious debt, you could be, uh, become a slave. And you could, um, you could become a slave if your, your side lost the battle. You could become a slave if, um, if you were just a part of a poor family and there was a drought that year and you didn't, the farm usually had enough to support you, but this year it didn't. And so you could, be, you could sell yourself into slavery, your parents could sell you into slavery, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it was a way, uh, and it wasn't uh, often a lifetime kind of thing either. It was a way that you could um, kind of sell yourself until you were out of debt and then, um, and then be freed. But it still represented the lowest tier in society in terms of relative social status, according to N.T. Wright. So slaves were regarded as little more than property. And so that's probably what we'd already expected in coming to this. And so um, it is different than how we think of employees today. Um, It's probably closer to what we think of as employees than it is to what we think of as slavery in the American South. But, um, But it is not... Uh, what we think of as employees. This is a much lower level society-wise kind of a thing. And it actually um, comprised up to 30% of the population in some of the urban areas. It was kind of a thing. It was kind of a big deal. And And the way that Roman society was set up, there were clear... Uh, leveling demarcations. You knew in Roman society where you fit. You knew where the people that you interacted with fit, and typically you would, as much as possible, only interact with the people who were in your same category with a little variation. Um, but that was, that was also kind of a thing, knowing where you were, and slaves were at the lowest end. So imagine you're Philemon. You're a part of this culture. You have grown up in this culture. You have lived this culture. You have learned this culture. It is just a part of the world that you exist in. And so you have this slave named Onesimus. And for whatever reason, he has run off. That's not okay. That is not acceptable. That is not what you have paid for. And if he, if you ever see him again, if someone catches him and brings him back, you have legal rights that will um, make things quite miserable for him. And that will teach him a lesson for sure. It will teach others around. It will set an example and show that you just can't do that. So imagine one day you're there at home and Onesimus walks up. You see him again, and he's carrying a letter from Paul. Okay, before you deal with Onesimus, you should probably read the letter. (laughs) But before you've read the letter, you probably have some ideas of how you're going to be dealing with (laughs) Onesimus. But here's the letter that Paul writes. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God every time, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's, he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could, could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There you go. All right, Philemon, how are you going to respond? <laughs> that is countercultural, isn't it? What Paul is asking of, um, of Philemon goes against anything any of his Roman neighbors would have advised him. It doesn't make any sense from a Roman perspective. What, uh, what Paul is asking him to do is to welcome Philemon, or welcome Onesimus back as you would welcome me. Now, Philemon's not about to welcome Paul with punishments or setting examples to other slaves. <laughs> so what Paul's asking is big. It is big, it is, uh, and it is <laughs> counter-cultural. And he knows it. And you can tell that he knows that what he's asking is big and countercultural. And so the way that he writes the whole letter kind of takes that for granted and then moves forward accordingly. And so, um, so there are several things in this first half we want to point out. First of all, 
is in verses, chapter, yeah, verses 1 through 3, the way in which Paul just sets up the letter. It introduces it. Here's who I am. Here's who you are. It is a reminder of their relationships. Before he even gets to the big ask, he gives a reminder of the relationships. The relationship that Paul has with Philemon, the relationship Philemon has with the whole church, and the relationship they all have to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. It is important that we remember our relationships, our relationships to one another and our relationships to one another in Christ before we start making relational decisions of how we are going to um, treat one another, how we are going to uh, do business with one another, how we do go about anything. It is important to remember our relationships that we have with one another in Christ and, the, of course, the relationships we have with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, grace and peace to you. Next, in verses 4 through 7, it seems like what Paul is doing here is just your typical flattery, buttering him up because, hey, I got a big favor to ask. And so it's kind of the, oh my, you look pretty today. (laughs) Have you done something new with your hair? By the way, got a favor to ask. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. I don't think that's what it is. Maybe a piece of that. But it's something different. It's, this is 4 through 7. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Does it sound like flattery a little bit? <laughs> Let me tell you some good stuff about you, Philemon. On the one hand, sure. On the other hand, Look at the things he's praising him for. The things that he says he gives thanks to God for. And it's for the ways in which Philemon has already joined in with his kingdom of God. The way in which he has already made changes in his life for the good of others because of his understanding of uh, his relationship with Jesus and what he has done for him. And so he, yeah, he has love for all the uh, Lord's holy people. He has faith in the Lord Jesus And he says uh, that his love has given Paul great joy and encouragement as he has refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. But in the middle there, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. This line to me, uh, I think is really key in this whole letter. It might sound, or it might seem like what Paul would say is, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith might be effective in spreading the good news to everyone in the Roman Empire, right? That's what Paul has been about. That seems like that's the mission, is get the word out, you know, wherever it needs to go. And so I pray that your partnership in, with us in the faith might, may be effective to that end, right? Well, that is certainly one of the things that Paul is is trying to do, but what he's talking about here is the other side of that. That it is as God works through us, he also works in us. And right now, Paul's not so much focused on how uh, God is working through Philemon. It's going to come in a bit, but he says, first, 
I want this to also work in you. That uh, your partnership with us may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. It is as you take this next step in the faith, as you follow Jesus in this way, that you would have a deeper understanding of how it is the right way to live. No, your neighbors aren't going to understand it. (laughs) But that as you walk in this way, you will have a deeper understanding and appreciation for all of the good things that we do share in Christ, that you will take this step that all your neighbors say, he's crazy. What is he doing? Why in the world would he welcome Onesimus back? I tell you what, if that were my slave, here's how I would do it. He says, but what you're going to do is something different, and what you're going to do is as you do it, you will understand even more why this is the case and how this is a good thing that we are sharing for the sake of Christ. Uh, It's not about uh, making sense to your neighbors. It's about following Jesus. And uh, whether or not they understand it, I pray that you'll get it. (laughs) That you will understand. That your understanding will be deepened. And so what this is, though, is not just flattery. This is a reminder of the history that they have together the history that Philemon has as, uh, in following Jesus and the mission that they're all a part of in actually living out uh, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God uh, wherever they are in whatever they're doing, to actually live like Jesus is king. So then in verse 8 and 9, this is where Paul makes kind of the, the biggest risk <laughs> Uh, especially for Onesimus' sake. And he says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, if you're Onesimus, you're the slave who has to take this letter back and give it to Philemon. You're like, you know what, Paul? Why don't you just go ahead and order him to do what he ought to do. (laughs) But no. Paul says, I'm not going to order him to do it. I'm not going to tell him you have to do this. I could. And while I understand that it is riskier, because he could choose not to, if I just appeal to him on the basis of love, if he chooses to do what he ought to do, if he does it because of love, it's so much more meaningful. And it actually is a whole different thing for Philemon himself. It is a whole different thing for the relationship with Philemon and Onesimus, if it is done out of love. It is a very different thing uh, to choose who you're going to marry versus having an arranged marriage. Someone this is who you're going to marry. There you go. I'm like, well, okay, I guess that's who I marry. But it's very different. Uh, just from the outset, if both people have freely chosen one another, right? That's different. It is very different in how we raise uh, children and uh, in when we give them the responsibility of making the choice for themselves. 
instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, this is what you have to do. <laughs> the younger they are, the more this is, how you, this is what you have to do. <laughs> there is. And the older they get, the more it is you explain the whole situation and say, all right, choose wisely. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying to Philemon because he trusts in Philemon's maturity in Christ to do the right thing. It is a riskier move, but it is a far, far better move. This is one of the reasons why um, in our denomination, we have very few uh, things that the denomination says you have to do (laughs) that are absolute requirements. There you go. You've got to do these things. But there are a lot of things that it's, This is what we ought to be doing. And then we are left to make those decisions. We do the same thing as a church locally. Very few things that we have to do. And yet, it's because we prefer to appeal on the basis of love. Understanding the love that Christ has for us as then we uh, live that out in our relationships with one another. And then finally, rest of verse 9 through 11, says it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And here we have Paul giving a reminder of identity. He reminds Philemon of who it is that's asking. Like, it's just me. Just an old guy in prison because of Jesus. Reminding Philemon of the mission that they are on. Reminding Philemon of the way in which following Jesus sometimes leads to hardship. But also looking at uh, the flip side of that. Of the, the blessings, not just the hardship. And so when he talks about Onesimus, and he says, he became my son. What does that mean? It means he came, he came to the faith in Jesus through the ministry of Paul there uh, in prison. He became my son while I was in chains. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. There's actually a play on Onesimus' name. But the point here is that Paul is saying, uh, as he runs off, you have no use for him. Who can trust somebody like that? On the other hand, when he ran away, he ran away as a slave. But when he's coming back, he's not coming back as a slave. He's coming back as a Christian. He is coming back as a brother in Christ. He is as much my son as you are, Philemon, in that you have both come to Christ through my ministry. And in this way, he is useful. He is useful to you. He is useful to me because now we are all partners together. Um, It is likely that this letter was sent at the same time as the, um, 
letter of Colossians. Colossians 3.11. It says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is saying to Philemon and to Onesimus, these Roman categories we have of hierarchy, that's not how that is in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are brothers and sisters. We are partners on the same mission. And that might mean that we still have different roles in society, but the way that we relate to each other as Christians is different than the way in which society deals with people. This is, uh, I mentioned that kind of the time bomb that Paul uh, plants in the whole issue of slavery. But his point in all of it is that the mission of Jesus has practical uh, implications for how we deal with one another relationally today and every day, the decisions that we make in how we treat one another should be determined by who we are in Jesus. Not by what people in elected office say. Not by what people talking heads on TV say. Should be determined by Jesus is king. We looked at the uh, parables of the pearl um, and the treasure in the field. And we say this is a kingdom that is worth giving up everything for. It is that valuable. And of course, the reason that it is that valuable is this is exactly the same thing that happened for us. That Jesus had such placed such a high value on us that he gave up everything. This is Philippians 2. That he gave up everything, became uh, human in the flesh, and died for us. It is when we come to grips with this that our understanding is deepened in the good things we share in Christ. that we then have a different way of relating to the world. The world uh, around us, our neighbors especially, those that we deal with on a daily basis. And so, countercultural as this message was then, it is just as countercultural today. But perhaps along different lines. So the question is, for Philemon, it was countercultural because of this issue of slavery and how is he going to receive back a runaway slave? We'll look at that more next week. And for us, we're saying, well, that's not my issue. <laughs> but we do have issues, don't we? Because the question is, what is it that Jesus as king is telling us today that is different than what our culture is saying? What is it that we are living out different today because of who we are in Jesus? It's different than what our culture does.
And I don't mean what are some beliefs that affect how you vote every time there's a voting cycle coming around. I mean, what are we doing day in and day out that's different than the culture because of who we are in Jesus? The love that he has for us, the value that he has placed on us, and the love and the value that he has asked us to have for others. I can't answer that one for you. It is one of the reasons we do continue going through Scripture because every week there will be um, more of that. But where it lands in your own life, I can't tell you. And so that's why together we need to continue uh, to read, to discuss, to pray. God, where does this hit in my life today? What are ways that I need to be living that my non-Christian neighbors would not understand but that you have called me to because it is a better way? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we do thank you for the value that you have placed on each of us. Not because we have done things to deserve that value, but because you have created us and you have loved us from before we were born. And so having loved us, when we ran away, you came and you bought us. You bought us back at a very expensive price. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live every day in light of that transaction, understanding that we are yours. Lord, help us to let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another because of the love you've had for us. Knowing that's not something we ever grow past, but something that we grow deeper into the more we follow you. this week as we gather together uh, whether in person or online with uh, friends and family specifically to give you thanks Lord, I pray that we would do so in ways that are um, honoring to you where we know that there's a lot of tension in our um, in our world and in our country today. Or that in uh, every family, uh, there are differences of uh, political views, etc. Lord, I pray that you would help us 
to not miss your kingdom because of our politics. Lord, show us how we can love one another in countercultural ways. That display your glory to all the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.